0: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where I discuss simple, practical, and scientific ways to help you take back control of your mental health, help others, and help your community. In this episode, I interview a good friend and incredibly intelligent functional medicine doctor, Dr. Will Cole. We discuss what inflammation is and how it happens, what we can do to reduce inflammation and heal our bodies and brains, how to do keto correctly, how the gut-brain connection works, how your thoughts affect the inflammation in your body, and problems in the current wellness industry and dangerous wellness trends. But before we begin, I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in each week and thank you to everyone who has subscribed to this podcast, left a review or shared this podcast on social media and with friends and family. Thank you again and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert, consults people around the world via webcam at www.drwillcole.com and locally in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Dr. Cole was named one of the top 50 functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation and is a health expert for Mind Body Green and Goop. Dr. Cole is the author of the book The Inflammation Spectrum, in which he explores how inflammation exists on a spectrum within the body, the various systems it can affect, and how you can discover your individual food triggers to overcome chronic inflammation. He is also the author of Ketotarian, in which he melds the powerful benefits of a ketogenic diet with a plant-based one. Welcome, Dr. Will Cole. I am so excited to interview you.
1: Oh my goodness, my friend. This is uh, long overdue. I've been such a fan of yours for so, so long, and I'm so glad that our worlds uh, came together.
0: I agree, and I've, we've been a fan of yours for such a long time too, so I'm, so I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited. And you're now part of our advisory board, which is amazing and potentially going to speak at our, our conference we have this annual mental health summit every year and hopefully we can get you as as a speaker which will be a tremendous honor and so it's just very wonderful to have to to have connected so doctor, uh, dr dr call can i call you will is that a, are you
1: yeah just call me Fantastic. will let's be let's be let's, people to people, let's be people yeah to
0: people i totally agree okay so will what is functional medicine and why is it important
1: Yes. Yeah, so functional medicine is—it's in short—it's evidence-based alternative medicine, or another word for it's integrative medicine, or, or, or it's a confluence of really I think the best of being uh, the best best of Western and conventional medicine, the best of alternative medicine. And I've had to break that down a little bit. The main differences between functional medicine and conventional medicine. Number one we interpret labs using a thinner reference range or a tighter reference range because many people Mm -hmm. that are listening right now, if they have their typical labs from their doctor, they'll have their biomarker and then they'll have this reference range, this X to Y interval of Mm -hmm. numbers that they're being compared to. Well, we get that reference range from a statistical bell curve average of the population of that lab or a population of people who go to labs because if you go from lab to lab, you'll see that reference range will vary slightly. It's not Mm -hmm. standardized. So the people that are predominantly going to labs are people with health problems. And there's a lot of people that go to their doctor and they get these basic labs done and the doctor says, everything's fine. You know, you're you're fine. You're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant or Mm. you're just getting older or you're a new mom or whatever reason is. But what they're unintentionally telling their patient is they're a lot like the other people with health problems that they're being compared to. So in functional medicine, we are taking people with health issues out of that reference range. And what's left is optimal, vibrant wellness. And that's a much tighter range within that larger reference range. So we're comparing the person that we're seeing with optimal health to give them answers as to why they feel the way that they do. And then we run more comprehensive labs. So we're looking at the underlying facets to human biochemistry. So whether that's gut health problems like microbiome issues, Toxicity issues, hormonal imbalances, nutrient deficiencies, chronic infections I mean whatever is relevant to the health history, we want to get really good comprehensive looks the pieces to the puzzle of why someone's struggling with their health problems and then the the third thing we that we do differently in functional medicine is that we realize we're all created differently differently there's not a cookie cutter one size mm-hmm. fits all approach to getting well, and you could have A 100 patients with whatever health issue you're talking about, let's say thyroid issues, and what works for one person may not be right for the next person. There's so much much complexities that make you you and me me, and there's some obvious, there's some common truths to health, don't eat junk Mm -hmm. food, eat whole foods, but Mm -hmm. beyond that, we have to be open to bio-individuality, and there's so many variables to consider. So that's and, and, uh, and my long-winded answer of, of what functional medicine is.
0: It's brilliant. It's brilliant and exciting. And I'd love to touch on each of those aspects. And I love the fact that you said bio-individuality at the end and that each person is unique. I mean, that is just so vitally important in the work that I do with brain research and the mind-brain connection. We see from the, some of the recent researches that there is no normal brain, meaning that we, every single person is completely structurally unique right down to the subatomic level and then obviously in their mind as well and so what you're confirming with functional medicine is that that bioindividuality exists in the physical too and i love the fact that you say that it's got a, you know you've got a tighter measure that you're not just taking the it's much not as loose as the general lab tests that that's very significant Mm -hmm. very significant that you've you've narrowed the you've narrowed the you've made it kind of like the eye of the needle a little bit narrower (laughs) For want of a better way of explaining it, which is, means you really are going to pick up those individual biological issues that are a, are a problem. So it's a very important part of um, of a person's daily lifestyle and well being.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So so, um, how did you get into this?
1: Well, I, I grew up in a, a home that was interested in health. Uh, so I, I, I my dad was a bodybuilder in like the 80s and 90s. And I thought it was normal for people's dads to be like lubed up with baby oil and Speedos and like my mom <laughs> filming him to get the proper poses. So they were in that world. And so I was drinking the weird adaptogenic tonics and elixirs and organic mm. and raw like before it was the industry that it is today, the health and wellness, like health food mm-hmm. industry. So that formed, I think, my perspective on food as medicine largely. And then I knew that I wanted to get into healthcare. Uh, and then uh, I went to an integrated medicine school in California, Southern California University of Health Sciences, and I, I heard of a guy who had gone to my school, he was older than I was, and he was talking about this field of healthcare called functional medicine, Datis Karazian, who even today, Datis Karazian is one of the sort of godfathers of functional medicine, mm-hmm. and he teaches for IFM and you know, Cleveland Clinic's Functional Medicine Center, Every all the doctors are trained through IFM. so. That was my sort of awareness of, okay, this makes sense. This is the best of – like this uh, perfect alchemy between the best of being evidence-based and the best of alternative health, which is getting to the root cause. Uh, and using food as medicine, but doing it in a, in a modern way, in a clinical way, in an evidence-based way. So it really spoke to my heart. And I really have seen over the years, the impact that can have on people's lives, people that are told, there's nothing we can do for you, that you're basically just take this medi- medication, see you in six months, like that's their lot in life. And mm. I see quite the opposite, people that were counted as we have nothing left for you, Get their life back, and it's such a rewarding, like awe-inspiring, sacred responsibility of being a part of somebody's health journey in this way. So I love it. It's such a, a an awesome, awesome role that I get to be.
0: Wow, it's so rewarding to to dive into it from that angle. So did you become an MD first, and then study functional medicine?
1: Yeah, my doctorate uh, is from SCUHS, and then my postdoctorate education and training is involved. Functional medicine and clinical nutrition, so it's through IFM, uh, and yeah, so that's how it works.
0: So, is most fun? Is that the same for most functional medicine doctors that you have to have an MD first and then become a functional medicine doctor, or is is that kind of the normal route?
1: Well, I, I'm a DC and IFMCP, so you can have. Okay, so, okay. Uh, yeah, you can be uh, any doctor. You can have, be a DC, okay. you can be ND, MD, DO, uh, okay. a DOM, and then their postdoctorate has to be uh, in functional. In IFMCP, yeah.
0: That's a lot of people ask that, and that's actually so that's why I wanted you to answer that, which is really fantastic. It's a very exciting field, wow. Um, so you've just released a book and I want to talk about both your books but you've just released an incredible book and I, I get so excited when I see your title that you actually the inf- called The Inflammation Spectrum and I'm very very excited about that because as you know 95% of diseases are lifestyle related leading to low-grade inflammation across the brain and the body and only 5% are genetic and lifestyles driven by mind and what you're thinking, feeling and choosing and you using all of the person all of us as humans, we are using our ability to think and feel and choose to drive our lifestyle, which is then driving the health of our brain and our body. And you as a functional medicine doctor are actually addressing this inflammation and you're diving right into the to the core result of what happens when we don't manage lifestyle. So I just think that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Can you explain inflammation and why it's so important that you dedicated a whole book to it?
1: Thank you. So uh, the inflammation spectrum, this concept is something that I touched upon in my first book in Ketotarian because beta hydroxybutyrate, the ketone, is not just a way to burn fat. It's also a signaling molecule. It's an epigenetic modulator, which means it does cool things for our biochemistry, and one of them is it downregulates inflammation. So it is uh, downregulates things like NF kappa B and COX2 and the NLRP3 inflammasome, basically pro inflammatory cytokines that are high in a lot of people, people with autoimmune conditions, diabetes, heart disease, mm-hmm. cancer, mental health issues, and we can help to lower that uh, through ketosis. But I wanted to have a broader conversation. In the inflammation spectrum, because like you said, it's so important that it really deserves its own book Uh, and look at beyond ketosis. What are other ways using food as medicine? But what are other non-food ways to calm inflammation? Because inflammation is not inherently bad. It's a product of our immune system. God made it. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It fights viruses and bacteria when it's in balance the problem is when inflammation is thrown out of balance It's chronic inflammation that is the problem and it's the goldilocks principle right not mm. not too high not too low but just right and that's applicable to so many things in the body when you're talking about the gut microbiome you don't want a bacterial deficiency but you don't want an o- overgrowth of bacteria or yeast either same with our hormones we don't want a hormone deficiency or a hormone excess you want it just right when we want it And inflammation is also subject to that law of balance. Uh, And it's it's when inflammation is too high for too long, that's associated with so many health issues. When you look at heart disease and cancer and diabetes, those are all chronic inflammatory problems. Mm. To autoimmune conditions, which is a lot of my patients, those are all inflammatory. Mm -hmm. To, obviously, you know more than anybody, the the mental health space. When you look at Mm. anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, so many people and i know that you know this more than anybody that we like to separate mental health from physical health in our western thought but the mm-hmm. reality mental health is physical health and our brain is part of our body and we like to separate the two but it's actually one and the same and there's a whole field of research that's looking at it's referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function it's basically cytokines, pro-inflammatory cells, how is inflammation impacting our brain? How is inflammation impacting Mm. mental health? So it's all the stuff that I'm exploring in this this concept of the inflammation spectrum because it's not just one size fits all. It's a whole continuum of inflammation, meaning, you know, from one end of the inflammation spectrum, it's the, you know, background anxiety, maybe low-grade fatigue, maybe some digestive problems on one end, to the other end, which is the full-blown you know, ICD-10 diagnosis code or an autoimmune condition or a metabolic issue and then everything in between. So I wanted to really educate people about this, how it impacts people, because when you look at the statistics, it's like it's growing by leaps and bounds, but, but – The other side of that coin is that so much we can do and we understand these health problems more than ever. And with lifestyle changes and functional medicine and the work that you're doing, people can start to reclaim their health again because so many people settle for feeling lousy because they think just because something's common, they equate that with being normal. Uh, Ubiquity doesn't necessarily equate with normalcy. And uh, this is really a message of waking people up to, to overcoming these health issues.
0: Well, I think it's an absolutely vital concept that you have addressed in the book and opening people's eyes to, because if I'm sure you also aware, Will, of the current statistics that people are dying 15 to 25 years younger. The, mm. That's the study they've been doing since the 90s that um, showed that the, very clearly by f- between 2014 and 2015 that there'd been a reversal in trends of people dying and younger, and the reason is preventable, and you said the word preventable a few moments ago, lifestyle diseases. So all these lifestyle diseases that you've been listing and that you address in your book, you've, you, you're showing that the cardiovascular issues, and the obesity, and the autoimmune, these are diseases that are 95% lifestyle-related and that are not being addressed correctly and have actually increased people's mortality. And mm. on top of that, there's also the statistic, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this one because it's quite recent, that um, if you have a mental health label on top of one of those Um, any of the others, it it actually increases, shortens your lifespan by an additional anything from 8 to 20 years. Mm. And so what you've addressed in this book, and this is probably why I'm so excited, is that people need to understand that you can't just say lifestyle is just, you know, whatever. You can't just think it's some woo-woo concept or Mm -hmm. or just in the wellness sphere and kind of write it off. You've actually got to realize that as a human what you are doing, you, you mentioned epigenetics and I thought, well, this is brilliant. When someone mentions epigenetics, you've got my is, and you've mentioned epigenetics in terms of food and in terms of the external signal that comes in through the body. So what you're eating is going to affect and causes information, and you track this so beautifully in your book. And the, the thinking as well causes is, is an epigenetic factor that causes change. So I'm just thrilled that someone has actually dived in from a functional medicine perspective into the consequences. So well done, so important. Thank you. And I know there's a lot involved and I know that one of the questions that that I would love to know the answers to and I know that a lot of people want this answer too is as if if they came to you and we're going to put in the show notes at the end how people can contact you because you consult um, online which is fantastic Um, are that the basic lab tests that you would recommend for people to start with and i know it's Mm. individual but is there a start point that you can help people in a practical way to start addressing this very important inflammation problem as a result of
1: lifestyle certainly um and the i put a little sidebar in both of the books ketotarian and the inflammation spectrum for people to have these labs ran because i think it's a good it's really important for people to get a baseline for what they're up against and as you mentioned like we run these labs for people but you don't necessarily have to have some you don't have necessarily have to fu- have to have a functional medicine doctor to run all of these some of these are Just anybody's local PCP or GP could run them. So some things I would recommend. Number one, if you want to look at inflammation in your body, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, or HSCRP, it's a biomarker to gauge for one source of inflammation. Uh, And the American Heart Association, the CDC, have these low, average, and high relative risk factors for uh, cardiovascular events, heart attack and stroke, and that's why they typically are running HSCRP. But in functional medicine, we're understanding, well, a lot of things can raise HSCRP, a lot of uh, sources of inflammation, and it's good to just understand how inflammation is in your body to get a benchmark for that. Uh, So the optimal range in functional medicine, we want HSCRP to be under one. Uh, HSCRP is also a surrogate lab for interleukin-6, which is another pro-inflammatory cytokine that you see a lot higher in a lot of these health problems that I mentioned earlier. Uh, homocysteine is another good basic test that you can run. Uh, homocysteine is an amino acid, a protein, just like CRP, that is pro-inflammatory when it's in higher levels. So again, it's it's about balance. You don't want access to these things, and homocysteine high above 7-7. Some studies to show that it increases blood brain barrier permeability and, and it act, can act as a neurotoxin and can drive what they refer to as leaky brain syndrome which I know you're well aware of basically increased uh, blood brain barrier permeability mm-hmm. so someone with increased intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome can also have some neuroinflammation because of this uh, impact of these neurotoxins. And homocysteine can be one of them. Uh, So in in functional medicine, we want homocysteine to be under seven. Uh, Ferritin is another basic biomarker you could have run. It's a biomarker to gauge for stored iron, but it's also considered an acute phase reactant. So basically, in states of inflammation, you can see ferritin spike as well. Those three tests: ferritin, hsCRP, and homocysteine are all basic tests. You don't need a functional medicine practitioner to run those. Um, And then there are more expansive tests that I run for patients. Like I look at gut-centric inflammation, which is certainly important because remember, inflammation is a product of our immune system so to understand inflammation you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides which is in the gastrointestinal system so we're looking at gut uh, biomarkers like calprotectin and lactoferrin and lysozyme and looking at intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome looking at bacterial and yeast imbalances that can drive inflammation levels too um, and then looking at uh, food sensitivities food reactivities We're looking at genetics that some people just genetically are more prone to inflammation again it's it's not the majority of the factors like you said the majority of how long and the quality of someone's life is epigenetics but about you know five to nine percent of the factor is for most people is going to be genetics and some people are more prone to it so the analogy that i use is like a a, if someone has a a mug of uh, a coffee or a mug for liquid or a glass some people have small mugs some people have big mugs some people they can fill up with stress and toxins and food, and they're gonna not going to overflow very easily. But some people have small mugs, and they're going to overflow quite easily. Uh, you can't change your mug size. You can't change your genetic tolerance to stressors, but you can change what you put in it. So we look at things like methylation impairments, like MTHFR. We look at the endocannabinoid system uh, that regulates inflammation and levels in the body, and the gut is rich with the CB1 endocannabinoid uh, receptors. Uh, and detox Mm -hmm. impairments. So everybody's created differently. So we're looking at this epigenetic genetic component that uh, helps people understand their baseline. And then we look at, you can look at blood sugar, A1C as well to understand blood sugar regulation, which is certainly a facet to consider too. So those are some things for people to kind of get a good baseline for what they're dealing with
0: baseline of their bio-individuality and then from there moving forward. So this that's brilliant. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for that. And and you can get that, they can see that in both of your books, Ketoterion and mm-hmm. this inflammation spectrum, those basic tests. But it's only a functional medicine doctor that's got the more stringent, mm-hmm. narrow parameters. So it would still be a good idea if your doctor says, oh, you're okay, you're within the normal range, it may still be a good idea for someone to consult with a Functional medicine yes. doctor to get the real truth behind what's really going on, and then you would build the picture and the puzzle from there. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so you have in in. I wanted to ask you in terms of. Um, That's when to come back to the the, the preventable and the. In- preventable lifestyle factors and inflammation. Inflammation plagues so many people and I I know we've kind of answered this but I want to emphasize this a little bit more. Why does inflammation plague so many people and how do we create awareness Mm. to rectify this issue?
1: What's happening with these chronic inflammatory problems is Really, you have to start with on a cellular level. We're made up of cells, and what happens is that the cell membrane becomes more oxidized. It becomes more rigid, and you have this sort of bilipid membrane on our cells, and it's la- it's supposed to be permeable enough to allow nutrients in, to allow uh, hormone signaling communication, but rigid enough to have its uh, have its form and function. And what happens when people have chronic inflammatory mm-hmm. health problems, again that sort of forest fire that's burning low grade in perpetuity, uh, you have a more of an oxidation or think of it as like a rusting uh, of that cell membrane. And that is causing problems because a byproduct of, of energy uh, is uh, is when the mitochondria is producing ATP, you have a byproduct of energy that needs to be cleared out of the cell membrane. But if the cell's more oxidative oxidized uh the byproduct of energy is not clearing out so you have then this sort of toxic cell in a way, and then the body because the body is so brilliantly interconnected, inflammation in one area can beget inflammation in, in other areas. So, for example, our gut and brain, as you know more than anybody, your gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue and they're inextricably linked for the rest of our life to the gut brain axis. So there's a research there's the reason why the research referred to as the refers to the gut as the second brain. Mm-hmm. And inflammation in the gut can it, cause a ripple a cascade of inflammation in the brain. So that's what we call sustainability systemic inflammation, uh, because the body's interconnectedness. So that's really um, the things we're looking at. And it's that immune response that is uh, thrown out of balance. And what, for example, what can happen in the gut is something called intestinal permeability, or, or leaky gut syndrome. And things can pass through the gut that shouldn't be able to pass through the gut, like because of the inflammation of the intestinal lining. And the proteins that govern gut lining permeability, zonulin and occludin, become attacked because the immune system is overreactive and then if bacterial toxins from gram-negative bacteria called lipopolysaccharides or lps or undigested food proteins can pass through the gut lining then the immune system says whoa like what is undigested food or bacterial toxins doing in the bloodstream. And then there's the seminal event that researchers refer to as molecular mimicry. It's sort of the case of mistaken identity when the immune system attacks those foreign invaders in the bloodstream and then can cross-react against something like the thyroid or against the nervous system or the brain. And that is what researchers are looking at is what the onset is for these chronic inflammatory health problems, specifically autoimmunity, which can manifest in so many different ways. So that is sort of the problem that we see sadly all too often today.
0: And that's does that link back to the polyinflammation? Yeah,
1: exactly. So the way that I put it in the book is that the way I I see it clinically Mm. is that there's seven main sections on this inflammation spectrum. There's the gut, there's the brain. And The connection between the two there's the hormone system or the endocrine system. There's the blood sugar regulation system There's the musculoskeletal system the detoxification system and then I made the seventh is autoimmunity as a separate entity because You can have inflammation but not have autoimmunity, but every autoimmune condition is inflammatory. So I wanted to differentiate the two. And then the eighth section is what you just said. It's polyinflammation. It's this sort of confluence, this interconnectedness of inflammation in more than one area, which sadly most people find themselves to various degrees on when they have been higher on this inflammation spectrum long enough.
0: Perfect. That's that's such a good explanation. So you you really can you tell people how you how people can understand this in your book because we, it's a lot of information and you have simplified this brilliantly in your book in terms of the quiz and toolboxes and the seven sections of the quiz that relate to these seven different areas that you a system that you were talking about now.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I I started out the qu- the book with a quiz that I adapted from questions that I ask patients. So I'll all clinical pearls that I wanted to just make easy to understand uh, so people can find out where they're at on the inflammation spectrum. And, you know, like I said earlier, some people just think because they go through something every day, they equate that with normal. Uh, it's, and so many people settle for these things that are actually check engine lights mm. in a way that their body is out of balance and the inflammation is higher than it should be.
0: This episode is sponsored by Ned one of my favorite CBD companies. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil products contain CBD extracted from the finest organic hemp plants. Ned offers many different products, including a collection for balancing hormones, and helping ease period pains. I personally have found their products to be a great addition to my mental self-care routine. Their full-spectrum hemp oils help me sleep better, to sleep fast, and just feel overall much calmer. NED products are non-GMO, a great source of antioxidants, can help reduce inflammation and pain, and will not get you high. Thank you, Ned, for supporting the show. You can get 15% off today with free shipping by going to Leaf and use the code Dr. Leif, DrLeaf. The link will also be in the show notes. Do you struggle to fall asleep? Maybe you find yourself getting more and more headaches. The problem could be coming from your technology. Many studies have shown that exposure to artificial blue light can disrupt sleeping patterns, increase headaches, and can even contribute to increased levels of stress and anxiety by raising cortisol, but don't worry, there is a solution. Blue Blocks Glasses. Blue Blocks is the only company that offers blue light filtering lenses backed by the latest science. They also had the largest selection of frames to choose from, and they are the only company that can take your own frames. And turn them into Bluebox glasses. I love my blueblox glasses, and I wear them every day. They have been especially helpful as I work on my new book late at night on my computer. And just for my listeners, Bluebox is offering a fifteen percent off discount with the code LEAF, L E A F, at checkout. The link and details will be in the show notes. Absolutely. So it's very clearly laid out in the book, and it's, I found that incredibly um helpful and interesting. They can just literally go through the quiz and start identifying the different level, and then you've got a whole toolbox. Do you want to explain it? Can you explain how how they would use it, how they would work through? Yeah,
1: absolutely. In a
0: very practical way. Yeah. The book?
1: So basically. The, once you take the quiz, you go through the seven sections that I mentioned on the inflammation spectrum, and then you add up your total score to get a total score of basically a metric, uh, subjective qu- a quiz metric of seeing, okay, where how infl- how high is inflammation in my body uh, based on that quiz? Um, so it's not a lab, of course, it's but it's a good uh, subjective way to see where inflammation may be. And then... The other component is what areas, like out of those seven sections, what areas are higher. And based on those areas that are higher, I gave a specific toolbox. So let's say someone scores higher in their hormone section or their gut section. They're going to have specific practices and foods to focus on and natural medicines like herbs, botanicals to focus on. And what research shows to be effective at supporting health and balance in those specific areas. So, for example, if it's it's the brain area, uh, they would have things like nootropics or adaptogens or uh, different foods to focus on superfoods for brain health. And then, if it's the gut, we're going to have different gut health supporters there. So, it is a toolbox that is based on their quiz score, and then based on their total quiz score. They're going to have a plan that's specific for them. So, people that scored lower on the inflammation spectrum quiz are going to have a simpler plan because, I mean, you and I both know not everybody's ready to make a big lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I did, so I didn't want to alienate people and say, well, it's all or nothing. So, I wanted a simpler approach for people that were going through issues. That scored a little bit lower on the inflammation spectrum quiz, so they knew there was something wrong, but it maybe wasn't at the point where they were higher on the inflammation spectrum. So I have them do what I call the core four plan, and that is taking out four foods that research shows to be the more likely to be more problematic in most people. And again, we're all different, so some people can handle some of these foods and some people can't, but I want you Mm -hmm. to find out as the reader What's your bioindividuality? What does your body love? What does your body not love? So you can get that information and know, okay, look, this doesn't serve me. Let's focus on foods that make me feel great. So those core four foods are grains, uh, like basically wheat, oats, rye, spelt, barley, all of the grains, and added sugar, and then high omega-6 oils like canola oil and mm-hmm. vegetable oil, and the fourth would be uh, a dairy, conventional dairy. Mm-hmm. And then people that scored higher on the Inflammation Spectrum quiz, they're going to have the Eliminate plan, which is core four plus four or more, eight foods. Uh, And that's going to be adding in nightshades, which are peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, goji berries, white potatoes, nuts and seeds, and then legumes and eggs, all whole foods, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those foods, but it's bio-individuality. And some people, because of intestinal permeability and an overreactive immune system, like albumin and egg white can be a problem, or the alkaloids and nightshades can be a problem, or the lectins in the nuts and seeds and legumes can be a problem. I do fine with a lot of those foods, but not everybody does. So it's about finding out what your body loves. And we're all different, so I wanted to really teach people – a well-formulated, thoughtful elimination diet approach, which is still the gold standard in clinical nutrition. uh, But it's not just about food. So we talk about these non-food inflamers in the book as well. Because as you know, I mean, you could be eating Mm. really good foods, but serving your body a big slice of stress every day is going to raise inflammation Mm -hmm. levels as well. Uh, So we have to talk about these non-food inflamers as well.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned that because what you've just described so brilliantly is how to get inflammation under control in terms of a practical, very, very important food-based approach. So you've you know, very organized, very systematic, very logical. You're not saying anything's bad. Obviously, the modern American diet's bad, but you're saying you know, whole foods, all of them are good, but some of us have got this vulnerability and you can actually work this out for your body. So once the inflammation is, I want to ask two questions. And the first one is once you can get your ideal bio-individual plan in place using this approach. That will help to reduce the inflammation. Can people then slowly start reintroducing the foods that they had to take out? Like maybe they love eggs, but they're definitely reacting and they're on the Core 8 plan. Can they then add, eventually add the eggs back in? That's my first question. The second question I want to pick up on the drivers behind the immune system and bring it back to mental health and stress and so on that you referenced. So let's dive into the first question first.
1: Sure. So the answer is... Yes, I want to the person, the reader, to reintroduce because I don't think uh, – like the elimination of side of the elimination diet protocols in the book are just one aspect of it. I want them – if they miss those eggs or those nightshades or whatever foods they took out, I want them to see if their body loves it or doesn't love it. And when they've start to center their immune system, calm things down, started allowing their gut to heal, I want people to experiment with reintroduction and they may find, oh, I – I don't feel good on that and I want to keep that out. And that doesn't mean they can never bring it back in. We may have just reintroduced things a little bit too soon, and the gut needed a little bit more time to heal, time needed to to pass a little bit longer to allow the body to mend and get that resilience back. So again, reintroduction doesn't necessarily, if you have a bad result, if you get a flare-up or a digestive problem or uh, a flare-up of any symptom that you were monitoring, it doesn't mean that it's going to be a problem forever. It just may mean that we brought it back too soon. Um, But Again, this this there's this paradigm shift that happens, I believe, when people start coming into this space with a positive attitude. And it's not about being punitive or going on a diet for the sake of it. It's just really mm-hmm. about loving your body enough to feel great. And I find that there's this catalyst, this paradigm shift, where it's not about oh, all the foods I can't have. It's really about, I love feeling better more than I miss that food. And it gives them that food piece that I want people to have. It's it's that they love the increased energy and the weight loss and the lowered inflammation levels and better Mm. digestion more than they miss that whatever food we're talking about. But the goal, especially with these whole foods and real foods, is to heal the gut, calm things down, to gain that resilience back so they can bring back those whole foods back in
0: brilliant okay so now we look at the next thing is that if you think of the fact that I, I know you're aware of my teachings and the research i do in terms of mind being separate from brain and that the mind is 99 percent of who we are and it's our thinking feeling choosing and then we've got our brain and our body and the mind works through the brain and the body so the brain and the body are responding to the mind so if we are not managing our mind our body is going to suffer so what you've explained so well in your books and I, and we're going to touch on the keto to the ketotarian book in, uh, shortly but I want to now bring this back to mental health and stress and the factors driving so yes I'll, and, and that's why I asked you can you reintroduce foods and I'm going to give an example and then let's let's unpack the sort of mind side and mental health side of of eating healthy together if that's okay with you. Um, mm-hmm. So if I I couldn't for years eat nuts, I ate them and then I had terrible reactions, and then I started doing the whole. I didn't know your book at that stage. This is quite a few years back, and I and I took them out of my diet and then put them in, and sometimes I could eat them and sometimes I could. And what it boiled down to was my mind. It boiled down to the fact that I definitely um, must have eaten a bunch of nuts around a time when I was going through a stressful situation. And that definitely created some something genetically, or um, it's an epigenetic and genetic factor, created a weakness in my body. And I started having an intolerance towards, towards nuts where if I ate almonds, I was so lethargic, I couldn't function. Then I stopped him for quite a few years and introduced them again and found I could eat them. But then I suddenly found I couldn't eat them. And the key, the common denominator always was my state of mind. So once Mm. I had healed my gut and I could actually eat the nuts and tolerate them, I was fine. But if I was in an extremely stressful situation, acute stress, for example, and I wasn't using my mind management techniques, um, I found that I reacted. But if I was eating the same nuts and I was calm and dealing with stuff and even if it was an acute situation I was in but my mind management was in place I could I I could eat the nuts so if my mind management was gone the intolerance came back if my mind management was there in other words I was managing that acute stress or that chronic stress or, or dealing with something that I thought I had dealt with which I hadn't dealt with as I was going through the process of dealing I could eat the nuts if I suppressed, I couldn't eat the nuts. And the, a lot of the research that I've done goes behind what is behind the lifestyle choice. Why? Um, okay, so if a person is in a state, uh, if, if a person's got abuse and they've never dealt with it, childhood abuse or something, and they get into adulthood and whatever, we see such a Strong gut brain link. We see so many food intolerances. Everything you've described, when you do that individual pattern and you start tracking the bi individuality of a person's responses back to their childhood or back to what's happened as an adult, all of us have got stuff we're dealing with. It's not just a few people, it's every human is dealing with stuff. And your body obviously is going to react, and all of our weaknesses will manifest, and, and then food gets affected. You have outlined the most brilliant pattern in your book for helping people to discover that inflammation, heal the inflammation, and reintroduce. I am more and more and more convinced that if we don't get our mind management in place, which is the driver behind the lifestyle choice of what I'm eating, but also the driver behind the effectiveness of my digestive system Mm. and my brain system and all the systems that you've outlined, because, I mean, you know our digestive system is controlled by our mind. So 80% of your nutrition or even up to 95% is going to come from how effective your mind is. So if you're eating that really healthy food, like great nuts, great organic nuts, pasteurized, whatever it may be, but your mind is off. You, you're not dealing with a toxic issue. You've got bitterness or unforgiveness or anger or frustration. Your body is immediately vulnerable, and you're going to lose up to 80% of that nutrition. That's one aspect. At the same time, if you stay in that state, you could start damaging your body, that suddenly now you can't eat the nuts or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. So that's a long kind of explanation. Can you pick up from there and kind of make that link between yes. mind and inflammation and body and everything you do?
1: Yes yeah, so so brilliantly said thank you. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that that is the this brilliant bi-directional relationships between thought and emotion, thought and emotions, and our physiology, because our thought and emotions impacts our physiology, but then the, the physiology impacts our thoughts and emotions in many ways. So it's this, this big, this big uh, circular vicious cycle that can happen for some people. Because you're absolutely right, the environment, the headspace, the mental space, the, even the spirit space that some people find themselves in mm-hmm. when they are eating influences their biochemistry uh and then then they have the flare-up or they have the symptom and then there's this trauma and stress response around food and i see this oftentimes with with patients it's like this big vicious cycle where there is measurable physiological things going on but what came first and and research is showing that trauma and stress and these negative emotions uh, are linked to triggering these inflammatory health problems and triggering autoimmune problems and these gut issues so it's why i had to explore these non-food inflamers in the inflammation spectrum because it's such a part of what brought somebody to feel the way that they do today and looking at these two sides of a coin that make them feel the way that they do Um, and it's it's something that they have to untangle to be conscious of of not only healing their body but healing their their mind and healing their relationship with food and healing their relationship with their body uh, it is it is paramount to to what we do in functional medicine and obviously paramount to what you do as well.
0: Brilliantly said. You said that so well. Um, I overheard you saying in an interview that people need to reframe their perspective of life, and I just loved that statement. Can you elaborate?
1: Absolutely, I think that I think there's so much information in that day that we live in, right? There's it's Mm. Doctor Google Mm -hmm. and all its conflicting information, and it's adding to people's stress and anxiety, and I think that it's to really get. Uh, headspace of what works for your body and what does your body love because I think coming to wellness whether that's you know whatever you're dealing with out there if you're coming to wellness with stress and striving and you're going to will it away and you're going to just diet it away or exercise it away Mm. and you're coming from a place of shame and and stress and and like overwhelm I don't find that's going to bring good fruit in the long term, it'll just be a fad diet or a mm-hmm. fad thing that you've tried because you have to get your head and your heart right first, in my opinion, before you start really using wellness as uh, a tool to show yourself self-respect and using self-care as a form of self-respect. So I I, I believe that the genesis of sustainable wellness is born out of of loving your body enough and respecting and being a good steward of yourself enough to to feed it good things or do acts of wellness for yourself so to me that's that's such a a paradigm shift that is such a foundational shift that has to happen so you could have like for example you could have a diet change or like a food change or any sort of wellness act change and if you're coming at from coming at that practice from a place of stress and striving it's going to bring a completely different outcome than if someone's coming it from a place of grace and lightness so to me that's uh, a paramount aspect to what i do and try to get that headspace and the heart space right before we do anything else
0: brilliant i love that See so i love the fact that you mentioned the word sustainability and that you keep to keep the thing going because i'm sure you're aware of the statistic that nine out of ten people or 90 percent of people will they lose the weight and put, they'll put it back on again. So literally 90% because yeah. it's not sustainable if you don't get your head around it. And then there's also that research yeah. that goes to the point of if you um, are hopeful and then you go shopping, you actually buy healthier food than if you're not hopeful. Um, so there's uh, you know yes. there's some really basic uh, research out there confirming that, that reframing perspective of life is so vitally important as a driver behind why the inflammation is in your body in the first place. So that's absolutely. Uh, can you talk a little bit about gene snips and the cannabinoid system? And you know, CBD oil is such a big thing now, and it's such such a great help, and so on. Can Can you speak a little bit about the cannabinoid system and CBD oil?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. People are interested in CBD. There's CBD everything. Very. <laughs> but but the cannabinoid system I mean the way that CBD and uh, hemp works um, and hemp, the hemp plant uh, has more CBD uh, and l- really no THC the the psychoactive THC. aspect mm-hmm. of it but they're all in the cannabis family and marijuana has higher THC and low, lower CBD and then it's the opposite with the hemp plant so most people when they're having the CBD oil it's coming from a hemp plant uh, so it's non psychoactive mm-hmm. it's not going to be you know psychedelic in any way um, but mm-hmm. the what it's working on in this in our body is the endocannabinoid system or the ECS, which is innate in our mm-hmm. body and it regulates our thoughts and our mood and our emotions and inflammation. Mm-hmm. So the, what research is showing is that there's a few few gene variants or SNPs and SNPs is an acronym SNP and it stands for single mm-hmm. nucleotide polymorphism polymorphism, which is a gene variant that we get a copy from our mom and a copy from our dad. And what research is showing is these heterozygous or homozygous, these gene variants, one or two gene variants at these specific locations on these endocannabinoid genes are associated with higher levels of food reactivities, things like lectin sensitivities, which are proteins in different plants, uh, and higher inflammation levels. So that goes back to that bio-individuality. Some people don't have those gene variants, some people do. And people that do have those mm-hmm. gene variants are more likely. It doesn't mean they're gonna get it, but it, it means that they have that predisposition to be have higher inflammation levels or be more prone to certain things that are associated with inflammation levels. So that's the endocannabinoid system. And then we look at methylation gene SNPs too, which methylation is very important for our brain and our hormones and detoxification. Mm-hmm. And there's certain gene SNPs like the MTHFR and COMT that can impact mental health. It can impact inflammation levels the recycling of certain proteins so that homocysteine that i mentioned earlier there's the mthfr Mm -hmm. and other gene SNPs that we look at too that are responsible for making the enzymes that help to recycle down uh homocysteine that's one source of inflammation but if people have these sluggish methylation gene variants they aren't breaking down and recycling homocysteine down and they're more prone to higher inflammation levels so it doesn't mean they're going to have higher inflammation levels it just means their body's a little bit more sluggish at doing that and it's good to check in to kind of look at that mug size like i said but also look at what's in the mug that Mm. genetic and epigenetic connection there
0: mm. that's brilliant that's fantastic well can you just quickly unpack for the listeners what methylation is and why it's so important to mental health
1: Absolutely. So it is a biochemical superhighway. I think of it as like Southern California Mm -hmm. with all its different freeways, the 405 and the 105 and the 605, all that stuff's kind of confluence uh, in the body. And that's how I visualize methylation because you have a lot of different steps, a lot of different pathways that are basically donating what are called methyl donors, which are carbon, hydrogen, CH3, Mm CH3 groups to help to pass along to these other pathways to help to make for a healthy brain. Function and build the building blocks. These are proteins that are building blocks to a healthy brain, or building blocks to a healthy gut, or supporting detox pathways and producing glutathione, our body's potent antioxidant pathways. Uh, so it is essential for human health. And it research estimates that the majority of our genes have been around for a long time. So the, the these gene variants that we're looking at today are not the new kids on the block. The the new kids on the block are the is the amount of stress the epigenetics that we're talking about Mm. so by Mm -hmm. all means i don't want to say that the gene variant is something somehow bad it's not bad but when someone has Mm -mm. more sluggish areas and then you're stressing it out with all the modern stressors that we live today our food supply stress technology environmental toxins it can be too much for a, a sluggish system. So it's not saying the gene variant is bad. It's just understanding, okay, look, this is a little bit sluggish in this area. And then modern life is really stressing out an already s- slow system. So it is really uh, understanding it from a, a like a ancestral standpoint. It's not bad gene variants. These are just understanding slow, sluggish genes and then normally functioning genes. Brilliant.
0: I love the way you explained it, especially with the superhighways. And the, 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 key the one of the key things that I always talk about with methylation as well in addition to how you've explained so well is that it's switching those genes on and off by your thinking so you said that already you said if you stressed out you're going to activate things that are going to weaken your body and when you mm. when we talk about methylation we're talking about switching genes on and off, or switching genes on and some of them you don't want them on so adding by the epigenetic factor just trying to simplify that and and it's so important once again we can track it back to the the pre-emptive factor or the thing that starts the whole process and that's why I asked you that question, that we have all these incredible scientific things going in our body and someone will hear methylation and they've never heard it before. They'll hear gene snips and they've never heard it before. But the fact of the matter is that the way that you're thinking and the choices that you're making in that moment about your thought life and about your eating life <laughs> is going to mm-hmm. affect how your genes are going to function and how your body's going to function and how the epigenetic factors are functioning. Well, it's an epigenetic factor. So that's, that's really great. Uh, Thank you for explaining Mm -hmm. that so well. Okay, I'd love to quickly talk about your book, The The Ketotarian, and how it's different from the keto diet.
1: Sure. Um, So Ketotarian was really born out of my own personal health journey and seeing patients, uh, consulting them. And I wanted to give people a whole foods-based, clean, ketogenic diet. So it is really the best of being plant-based and the best of being keto because I love the benefits of ketosis. I mean, the impact of metabolic flexibility, the improved cognitive benefits, the anti-inflammatory benefits, the upregulation of these pro-antioxidant like the NRF2 pathway and the AMPK pathway mitochondrial biogenesis, like making new mitochondria, which is our cellular energy Mm -hmm. factories. And so many people with these inflammatory problems have uh, dysfunctional mitochondria. So there's so many far-reaching health benefits of ketosis. But And you know this too, that there's many people that just go keto the dirty way. It's like this dirty keto where they are having lots of bacon and butter and they become fearful and obsessive about avoiding vegetables because they're afraid that the fiber and the carb content is going to throw them out of ketosis. And I don't feel like it's coming from that place of grace and lightness that I mentioned earlier that I think people should be coming at wellness with. So it's really a sustainable, clean way to tap into the awesome benefits of ketosis to gain metabolic flexibility, meaning that you can burn sugar for fuel and fat for fuel uh, and instead of always being in sugar-burning mode that many people find themselves with. But they're doing it in a way that is uh, vegan keto options, vegetarian keto options, and pescatarian keto options, which is wild-caught fish, fresh seafood – And I'm not against grass-fed beef. I think people can have that in your diet. But I wanted people to explore a different way to go keto. And then if they want to bring in some grass-fed beef, they can. But they're still predominantly eating these whole foods, these fresh foods that are all keto um, that many people don't realize. So it's really – a um, uh, my take on, uh, the ketogenic diet.
0: I love that. Uh, it's just brilliant. And so important as you so rightly said, people said, Oh, I tried keto. It didn't work for me. And you hear that all they lived on, as you yeah. said, was bacon and, and cream or something <laughs> and didn't have a single vegetable. So I just, well, do you mind just very briefly explaining? Cause you're such an expert when it comes to keto, what it is just very briefly and, um, what it does sure. and then just once again, kind of Maybe tell us a little bit more about the different, the, a little bit more depth about the ketogenic. Some of the examples of bringing more vegetables sure. and things in, because yeah, it's not just a plate of meat and it's <laughs> you, you need yeah. to add a few other things too.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness, so much more. So uh, basically, what ketosis is is nutritional ketosis. Uh, and it's a natural state that our body has that's, uh humans would have been in times of ketosis for all of human existence. And our body has two main fuels or sources of, of fueling ourselves or getting energy and the way their metabolism runs, uh, sugar burning or fat burning. And our birthright, we're actually all born producing ketones. Uh, babies need to be producing ketones. Breast milk is rich with MCT fats and needed uh, for The baby needs to be producing ketones for proper brain development, Uh, and humans, again, would have had seasons, depending on food availability, had times of ketosis for a long time. But Mm. we've lost that. Now we don't really spend any time in ketosis because there's so much food around, and it's not just just food around. It's foods Mm. that – perpetually keep us out of ketosis namely sugar and carbs and carbs turn into sugar so it is uh we've lost that metabolic flexibility then we've Gone to only sugar burning all day every day for our whole lives, and what I'm teaching uh, with my patients, the patients that we're putting on these protocols and in ketotarian, is using ketosis to regain that metabolic flexibility to not just burn sugar, which is like kindling on the fire. Right, kindling will mm. create a light, a flame on the fire, but you have to keep putting kindling on all day mm-hmm. long to maintain it. Or they get hangry and irritable, or they get mm. <laughs> they get really moody because they need that kindling on the fire. Uh, or you could put a log in the fire, which is burning fat for fuel. You don't need to put logs on all day long because it burns longer, more sustainable. And that's what ketosis is: it's burning fat for fuel. And the the uh, the research around it is really exciting. It's the mm. the uh, able to burn your own fat, but also, mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier. The beta-hydroxybutyrate, BHB, the main ketone that our body produces in the state of ketosis, passes through the blood-brain barrier. It lowers mm. brain inflammation, mm. helps to make new neurons because it enhances brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, which we need mm-hmm. to make new neurons. Uh, and it helps the mitochondrial function, helps to lower inflammation, all this cool stuff that our body you can allow your body to tap into. So, and then that doesn't mean you can never have carbs again. So, some ways that I teach in ketotarian is you can do a cyclical ketotarian, meaning you can. Uh, be in ketosis. Once you've gained that metabolic flexibility, you can inc- have days like two to three days out, out of the week where you increase things like fruits or sweet potatoes or uh, rice or something like that. And then you can go back in ketosis, but you have to build the metabolic flexibility first. And I'll teach your body that it can burn fat once again. Uh, and that takes some time. Uh, so then And then there's a seasonal ketotarian approach, which from an ancestral health perspective, a lot of people would do that. Like during the colder months, they would be in ketosis. And then in the summer months, they would have fresh fruits and forage. And, you know, today it'd be like farmer's markets or going and getting fresh seasonal fruits. So there's so many ways to use this as a tool to improve your health. And then some people do better staying in ketosis longer term. People with neurological issues, people with inflammatory problems, autoimmune conditions, they would generally do better with longer term in ketosis. So it's a tool to use back to this concept of bio-individuality in the way that works for you. Uh, So that's what ketosis is. And then ketotarian is – Mostly plant based ketogenic books. So there's vegan keto and vegetarian keto. So vegan keto means it's all from plants. So things like avocados and olives and avocado oil and olive oil and nuts and seeds and uh, all types of vegetables you can think of. Uh, you can have any non starchy vegetable out there. And there's so many, most of the recipes are under this bracket of vegan keto. And then the vegetarian keto brings in things like, e- uh, like uh, wild caught, like wild. Wild cut, uh, so not wild cut, pasture raised eggs and ghee, a grass fed ghee or clarified butter. And then the pescatarian keto options have wild caught fish and fresh seafood. So it's really this sort of clean keto approach. And there's over 80 recipes in the book so people can, you know, pick from. And there's a meal plan and shopping guide and all of that stuff. Oh,
0: that is brilliant. Okay, that's the single best explanation that I've ever heard of keto. <laughs> Thank
1: you.
0: And, and just the way you did it. And we've been, our whole family's been doing keto for months now. And I, it is the, I've tried so many different ways because I'm a great, as you've been by individuality there's so many diets and fats. And I believe there's only one way to eat, which is eat real food mindfully. And that mindful is find, think about, find out what suits your body so everything you've been saying everything we've been discussing and and we've become keto fans i have never felt so good um on keto and i just love the way that you approach it in such a balanced way that you can have a few days in the week where you can actually change things around and it's all based on this bioindividuality, individuality and it's all coming linking back into your whole inflammation spectrum brilliant absolutely brilliant well you've been amazing i'm going to ask you if you've got a couple more minutes, I just quickly want to ask you two questions. What wellness trends are you excited about and which ones are you concerned about? Because it's like wellness is the thing at the moment. So what trends are you excited about and which ones are you concerned about?
1: Um, I'm excited about – I I think there's going to be a new wave – of intuitive eating, where people are kind of like, it's such a heart of what you talk about is eating mindfully. It's such Mm -hmm. I think that that's going to be on the rise, because people are, I think, going to have a Dr. Google burnout. And I think out of Mm -hmm. that Dr. Google burnout, eating mindfully will be just such a paramount focus, because all this great information that we're talking about in wellness means nothing if you don't do it from a place of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So I think that that to me is going to be a trend uh, and an important one because it's born out of necessity Uh, and I think that intermittent fasting is fascinating to me and autophagy and cellular recycling, Mm. uh, anti-aging with autophagy and fasting and and the ketogenic diet is a fasting mimicking diet meaning Mm -hmm. you get a lot of the same benefits as fasting with the ketogenic diet but I think exploring fasting in a way that is balanced, that's healthy, that's sustainable, that is coming from a place of grace and lightness and loving your body enough to give your body a break from digesting food all the mm-hmm. time i think that that's gonna, those are two trains trends that i'm really excited about
0: oh that's amazing and what are you worried about or <laughs> concerned about
1: yeah i'm worried about i guess i think uh, what i'm worried about is really the rise of orthorexia which is an mm. eating disorder that's really stress and shame around eating healthy which is such a shame that Uh, It's real we're seeing that across the board because people are just so confused about what they should be eating. Mm. So I think that that's something that I'm definitely concerned about that. And it's something that I consult with patients about to really start to heal not only their body, which is oftentimes people with orthorexia have autoimmune type problems or uh, mental health issues that because of this trauma they've Mm. gone through. Creating this disordered eating, Um, so I think that that's on the rise, uh, and we need to talk about it.
0: Oh, that's absolutely brilliant! Well, you, I could talk to you all day, and I have the privilege of knowing that I'm going to be able to talk to you lots more about these incredible things. And thank you for what you do, Will. I think it's outstanding, and just helping so many people to understand eating from another angle. I love that. Thank and you so much. the whole mind aspect. No, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. How can people find out more about you, your work and practice and your books? And obviously all this that you're going to tell us is going to be in the show notes as well.
1: Yes, thank you so much, my friend. I really do appreciate you having me on and the kind words. Yeah. Um, everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. There's a lot of free content online and we offer a free a webcam or phone health evaluation. If people want to get a functional medicine perspective on their case, uh, that's definitely my day job is consulting patients online with with these issues we've been talking about.
0: Incredible. Well, people, you need to get go pick up this book, The Inflammation Spectrum and KetoTerion. These are outstanding. They are in my house and we use them all the time. And well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and time with us.
1: Well, thank you. Talk soon.
0: I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf.